Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word Jude tonight, we're going to start a brand new study in this uh, uh, wonderful little uh, but mighty book of the Bible. Uh, We're going to have a six-part series entitled Contend for the Faith. This year, our theme has been uh, to be strong in faith uh, out of Romans chapter 4, verse 20. But unknown to us at the beginning of the year would be all the different challenges that would be faced by Christians in this world. We've seen persecution, we've seen the belittling of doctrine, uh, we've seen a growing ecumenical movement, and yet I'm encouraged because the Bible helps us to understand that God created us for such a time as this. And the book of Jude even was written to help us contend for the faith during a time like this. And so uh, Jude was written during a dark time of heresy and growing false doctrine in the church. And so God gave the epistle of Jude for them, but also for us today. It's still applicable, till it's still relevant for us today, uh, because that's the Word of God. It's quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's still vital for our life. And so I remind you that this is an age in which we see truth is under attack. Would you agree with that? You know, and so Solomon admonished us about truth just a little bit here. You can just write these down in your notes. And uh, there, Proverbs 23, 23, he says, buy the truth and sell it not. He says, listen, this is a valuable commodity, uh, and it's important that you keep this. It's not something you want to sell. Instead, you want something you want to keep and even hoard it in your heart. Amen? And that's okay. And the Bible also says that God is the God of truth in Psalms 31, 5. Aren't you thankful that God cannot lie? I'm thankful that because He cannot lie, we can trust His Word, and because we can trust His Word, we have something to go to that's a sure foundation. And so in our life, as we go through this life, we come back to God's Word and we say, okay, Lord, what is your? Uh, what do you say about marriage? What do you say about money? What do you say about these different things that are going on in my life? And listen, God's Word speaks to all of those things. And so He is a sure foundation because He is the God of truth. He also teaches us that He has magnified His Word, which is truth. And so, remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in human flesh, uh, in John 1.14 said of Him, He was full of grace and truth. Isn't it good to know that Jesus is full of grace and truth? He said of Himself in John 14.6, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. We understand that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth in John 14, 17. And, so, and we also understand the Holy Spirit is the earnest seal for those who accept the message of truth. So truth is important to God. But remember that Satan is the father of all lies. And so we see, we see this dichotomy here where God is the God of truth. <coughs> excuse me. God is the God of truth. And Satan is the one that wants to bring deception and deceive. I remind you, 1 Timothy 3.15, the Bible teaches us the church is the pillar and ground of truth. But today it seems like churches have forfeited that role and they've abdicated it to someone else. And it's a tragedy when churches leave the Word of God, they leave truth, and they uh, chase after other things that uh, that are appealing to the flesh. And so God calls us as a church to protect and proclaim the truth of the gospel. Remember, it's by believing the truth that people are set free from their sin and set free from death. Isn't that a glorious truth? And I'm telling you, it's a wonderful news, even for today, as we look at this world around us. And church, let me just encourage you, we live in a postmodern, even a post-truth world, if you will, and it's easy to forget that, that there is still a high priority on truth. God wants us to be those, uh, uh, those defenders and those uh, ones that propagate the truth of Christ. 
And so Satan has never forgotten how important truth is. From the very beginning, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number 3, you find Satan coming and he begins to add a little error with truth. And he says, yea, hath God said. He questions God's word. And then on top of that, he comes and he says, listen, and he adds just a little bit of truth. He says, listen, you're not going to really die. What's going to happen is you're all going to be enlightened. Your eyes are going to be open to all of these things. And so he begins to add a little bit of error with the truth. You see, because if it was blatant, and if it's blatant error, we would look at it and say, well, I'm not going to follow that. But see, what happens is we begin to mix a little bit of truth, and he begins to mix a little bit of error, and so that it's much more palatable to the Christian today. And so then we must then be on guard. And that's what Jude is written for. Jude wrote this little epistle of just 25 verses uh, for us today so that we might be able to be strengthened to stand against the apostates, not only in his day, but in our day as well. Remember, Satan desires to destroy. He desires to twist the truth. And he's constantly trying to replace it with falsehood falsehood and deception. And so it's so important that we are willing to stand for truth. But let me just share with you. The deadliest attacks that Satan has are not from those people who openly reject the truth, but rather they're often from people who profess to know it. They're from the charlatans that oftentimes have TV shows and mega thousands, uh, tens of thousands that follow them, and they mix a little bit of truth and a little bit of uh, maybe uh, uh, humanism all in this, uh, this new doctrine that they have, and they are uh, spiritual terrorists. Listen, they secretly infiltrate and they pass themselves off as spiritual shepherds and leaders, but the reality is they are imposters. And so how do, what do we do in the midst of this? Well, we must be people of the Word. Remember, it is, uh, it is the Word of God that is God's truth. And as a matter of fact, I was just thinking about this as I was sitting there in the pew listening to the music tonight, and I was going back to 2 Peter in my mind, and I couldn't help but be reminded of this simple truth. He says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, it's God's Word. Do you believe God's still the God of truth tonight? You know, and when we come to God's Word and He says, listen, this is not the uh, man that wrote this. This is God who inspired, God who, uh, who uh, led and, uh, and moved upon these men's lives so that they would pin these words. Let me just remind you, what we have in our hands when you hold your Bible is you have the very truth that God intends for you to believe. There are many examples in scriptures of, of, of those that are uh, imposters and those who are apostates. I just, I'm not going to read these passages, but you can look at them later if you'd like to. There was one named Simus Magnus. His, he was in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. There was Hymenius in 1 Timothy 1.20, Alexander, same scripture. Uh, there was other, uh, others as well, like in 3 John verse 9 uh, uh, as well that is mentioned there. And this is what the book of Romans says in Romans 16, 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what we see is these men are, are described further in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Remember, even, even uh, Satan could transform himself into an angel of light. And so he is the master deceiver, even still today. We think, well, we're enlightened. We, we, we know uh, what, uh, what is true and what is not. But listen, if you're not in the Word, it's easy to be confused confused in this day of delusion. You see, I'm more convinced than ever uh, that we live in the last days as we see these things uh, growing and this desire for these teachers that uh, will, uh, will bring things that feel good to the flesh. Uh, you know, and as I, I watch these things, I realize that we become more and more ignorant of God's Word the more and more these guys take my center stage. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 5, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And this is his warning, from such withdraw thyself. 
Listen, what he's saying is these must be opposed. We must be able to stand out against them. And listen, they, they might be able to entice these unstable souls, but, and they're going to be able to lead them to destruction. But we've got to be able to say, listen, I'm going to know what uh, God's Word says. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Uh, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we're getting in there. We're in the word of God. We know what it says. We're memorizing it. And here's a plug. We still have some t-shirts if you'd like to uh, be able to memorize Ephesians 6. We'd love to encourage you uh, to memorize it. You still have, what is it, uh, two months left. Amen. So you could still do it. And so that's only about a, a verse or so a week or two verses a week. I, I'm not going to do the math right now. What is it, Terry? All right. It's 24 verses, and we've got two months left. It's three verses a week. Is that what it is? Something like that. Y'all can feel four verses a week. All right, maybe three verses a week. Three verses a week. See, I knew I'd do that. I'd do that to myself. So the New Testament, then, we come to this. It warns, then, of the dangers that we face regarding false teachers and in, that are uh, coming to the church. And so remember Jesus, he warns us, and he says in Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. I'm so thankful he didn't say all, amen. I, there are still that remnant, there's still those ones that say, listen, we're people of the, tr- of the word, uh, and we want to uh, stay in the truth. And then Paul cautioned Timothy as well in 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit is speaking expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You see, as we see this time of the Lord approaching, we see this increasing more and more, don't we? And we see this in our, our world around us. We see this sometimes in our own families. We see this being spread more and more. Peter and John warned of the spiritual pretenders. But in Jude, and uh, verse number 3, um, we come to this. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so as we come to the book of Jude, that's really the crux of where we're at, that we might contend for the faith. I appreciate what uh, one uh, man wrote about Jude. He said, Jude's message of judgment is especially relevant to people today. For our churches are prone to sentimentality. They suffer from moral breakdown and too often fail to produce a definitive word of judgment because of an inadequate definition of love. Jude's letter reminds us that errant teaching and dissolute, uh, dissolute living have dire consequences. And so let us read Jude together. Just by way of introduction here, we're going to read all 25 verses here together. We're only going to dis, uh, work through the first three verses tonight in the salutation, but I want to just kind of uh, give us an understanding and a reading of the entire passage here together. So let's look there together. If you've got your Bible there, follow along with me as I read. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I would call that heresy, wouldn't you? He said, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which crept, uh, kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even at Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going over strange flesh, and are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defiled the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him any railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, 
But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam, for reward, and perisheth in the gainsaying of Cori. These are the spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots." Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and after their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember uh, ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separated themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And the church said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the Scriptures tonight. We thank you for this book, Mighty Yet Small, Lord, and we just thank you for uh, the great eternal truths that you have laid out for us here. And so help us, Lord, to apply ourselves to know and to understand. And Lord, though our bodies may be weary, help us, our spirit to be energized uh, by these truths, Lord, that you've laid out in the Scripture. Thank you for the great understanding, uh, Lord, uh, that we have through it. Now help us to grow, to contend for the faith in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so what I want to do for you before we jump into the uh, first three verses is kind of give you an overview, uh, kind of like a, a, uh, a road map, if you will, through the book of Jude, uh, and uh, so that you kind of have an idea of where we're going from here. And Lord willing, uh, we should finish uh, this series by the end of the year. Now, I say that, uh, but because you all know how that sometimes goes. So the first three verses, what you'll find here is really the salutation. And, and uh, Jude Wright lays out, uh, like in a letter, just that greeting, but also there's the purpose that's coupled with that in verse number three. And so tonight we're going to look at this message, Compelled to Contend. And, so, uh, and then from verses four through seven, we see that uh, Jude really works, uh, and he gives us a warning to the apostles there. And so we'll work through that and, and see the warning that is laid out there. Uh, excuse me, not the apostles, but the apostates there. And then we also see verses 8 through 13. The third uh, message we'll have there is that way of the apostate. And so we kind of see their, their lifestyle. We see uh, what happens as a result. And then verses 14 through 16, he lays out the future judgment for those who are apostate, for those who uh, uh, reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, the fifth uh, thing we see this verses 17 through 23 uh, is really applied to us tonight as we uh, survive the apostate times. And we go through a time where there is this age of delusion. And then we see the guarantee finally in verses 24 and 25. Tremendous book of the Bible. There's a lot packed here. And so let me just, uh, just jump right in tonight in this very first message here uh, uh, as we deal with compelled to contend tonight. The greatest threat to the church has always been false teaching. From the very beginning, I'd say from the very first century, uh, you, because oftentimes false teaching can come in subtly, uh, and it can make, and it's like a spiritual poison, uh, and it can come in, and, and in just a little bit can go away a long way to uh, bringing destruction to even the harmony, but even more than that, the souls of man. And so uh, it's important that we know the truth, and that's why Jude was written so that he might be able to say, listen, it's important that we stand upon the truth, that we contend for the truth, that we say, listen, thus saith the Lord, 
Not thus saith the John, not thus saith anybody else. I don't care about any other heretic. I just want to know what God has to say. You see, the deadliest false teaching doesn't come from a deceptive non-Christian. It is not going to come from uh, watching your news outlet. It's going to come from those inside the church that pretend uh, and they're pretenders uh, in, uh, in that result. And so the damage they create is far greater than anything that is external coming in the church. We see this over and again. If you remember, as we studied the book of Revelation, the very first church, they suffered great persecution. As they went through the persecution, the church flourished. It exploded because the greatest danger is not from without. Often it's from within. And listen, let me just, let me just encourage us, but by the grace of God, there go I. I've got to make sure that, listen, I want my life, before I point at anybody else, I want to make sure my life is uh, walking with the Lord, that I'm consistent in my own uh, time and my own uh, efforts to know the Word of God, uh, and that I'm growing in Christ on a daily basis, because that's the biggest uh, way that we can uh, refute error, is to know truth. Let me ask you, do you know the truth? So this is the warning of Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20 here, as He gives a warning uh, to His disciples. He says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. You know, oftentimes we hear people say, Listen, don't, be, don't judge me. But the reality is God's called us to look at the fruit of people's lives. He says, A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And so Christ gave it this warning. He said, listen, look at the fruit of their life. What's going on in their life? What are, uh, what is, what are, uh, what's flocking to them? And so it's very important that we see some of these things. Also, Paul uh, gave us a warning in the book of Acts. He warned the Ephesian elders as well regarding this danger. Acts chapter 20, uh, 20 and verses 29 through 31. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, he's not talking about literal wolves, amen? He's talking about those that would come in and bring deception. He says in this of them in verse 30, Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. As he warned this, this church, he said, listen, the reality is people are going to come in and they're going to want to try to destroy, they're going to try to build their own community around themselves. And we've seen this, haven't we? Different cults over the years, we see people uh, worshiping a man and they forget about the Savior and they have a following and oftentimes those followings can be, uh, can be very deadly in the end. Uh, we've, uh, and I, I didn't bring any illustrations of this, but in my mind I can't help but think about the many uh, false prophets over the years that we've heard about and read about on the news uh, where uh, some comet was flying by and, and uh, they said, listen, we've we got to drink this poison so we can get on the comet and go to Jesus type of garbage. Listen, that's what Paul was warning about. He said, listen, it's important that we be rooted and grounded in the truth. I'm so grateful uh, for those that have been through our discipleship, those who are going through discipleship. I appreciate so much the efforts to make sure our people are grounded in truth, and it all comes through the Word of God. Amen. So the rest of the New Testament also has other warnings just like this uh, for us to be able to say, listen, we've got to be on guard here. And so there are warnings that uh, have, uh, have proved to be well-founded. If we think about this... If we go back to the book of Revelation, when the Apostle John was uh, writing the book of Revelation and the inspiration of God, and he uh, talked about the seven churches, and we just finished this a couple weeks ago, so it's fresh in our mind, but those seven churches, out of those seven, only two remained completely faithful. Only two, Smyrna and Philadelphia, were churches that were faithful. They were churches that received the, the congratulations of Jesus instead of the condemnation of Jesus. But the other five churches... 
to one degree or another, they'd fallen. They'd allowed this doctrinal uh, uh, error to slip into the church, and they were suffering the consequences as a result. And so we realize, even in that first century, as Jude was writing, as John wrote, and even in 2022, we're still dealing with these false wolves that want to come in and to pervert and destroy the church. I was listening to a podcast just uh, just yesterday, and they were talking about uh, the changes in the Southern Baptist movement and some of the things that have gone on, and a lot of this woke ideology that has been brought into uh, this, uh, this movement. And I said, man, Lord, even in something like that, that has for a long time uh, been one of those bastions of truth where they have stood upon truth, even in a situation like that, that we see that growing more and more in our day. And listen, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just saying, listen, there is a warning that but by the grace of God, there will go we. We must be uh, uh, willing to stand firm to combat uh, uh, doctrinal error and say, Lord, we want to stay close to you. Jude's letter was written uh, probably uh, 25 years or so before John. And he was recognized that the battle for the truth in the early church had already begun. Matter of fact, 2 Peter and Jude are, are very similar. If you were to take some time and study 2 Peter and the book of Jude, you're going to find a lot of similarities back and forth, and some even wording, and some words that are only, uh, only seen in the Greek New Testament in both of those, uh, those uh, both 2 Peter and Jude. It's the only place they're used. And so, Jude, 2 uh, Peter, as he wrote, it was almost as if he was writing, saying, hey, these things are going to come. But as Jude was writing, he was saying, these things are already here. Be aware. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust. So you almost see this future tense here as he's talking about it. But as we read a moment ago, we see, like in verse 4 of Jude, for there are certain men crept in unawares. And he's saying, listen, this is already here. It's not just in the future tense. Folks, this is happening now. And Jude was just trying to wake us up and wake up that church and say, listen, this is really happening now. We can't just cover our eyes and say, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. This is really happening right now. And I think it's easier for, easier for us to see today uh, because of just the uh, proliferation of the news and the things that we hear on a regular basis. So he really wanted to make sure that these errors that were seen in this church in the first century were exposed and then expelled. He said, listen, there's a, there's a goal here, and that's to make sure we contend for the faith what is true and what is not. And so uh, we see this examination of the false teachers, we see their motives, and we see their doom that's going to be predicted here. Now Jude wrote this around 68 to 70 A.D., just after Peter finished his epistles. And so uh, the two, this, these letters are very closely related, as I mentioned a while ago. But let's look at Jude's background, the audience and exhortation, very quickly tonight as we, uh, we wrap this up this evening. Long introduction. That was a lot of introduction for you tonight because we did uh, kind of an introduction to the book and for the message this evening. So let's look very quickly at the background. Verse number one, I hear at the beginning, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So here we see the name Jude is obviously given to us. We understand the writer, his name was Jude. Now, Jude was a common name. Uh, if you go to the New Testament, as a matter of fact, uh, Jude is short for Judas uh, or, or Judah uh, in the Old Testament. And so two of the disciples were named Judas. Obviously, Judas... Iscariot, we remember him. And there was Judas, the son of James, as well. And so also the Apostle Paul, shortly after his, uh, his conversion, met Ananias at the house of a man named Judas of Damascus in Acts 9-11. Then there was Judas Barsabbas, a leader in the early church that joined Paul and Barnabas and Silas in carrying the gospel. Or excuse me, they carried a letter from Jerusalem to the believers in Antioch. So Judas was a very common name. As a matter of fact, during the Maccabean revolt, we are uh, re reminded by history that it was Judas Maccabee that led the revolt. And so, of course, everybody wants to name their, uh, their son after a famous hero, right? Think about even in, I, I just Google searched, what is the most common name today? Anybody have a clue what it may be? I thought it was going to be John, but it's not. It's James. 
James is the most common name today. So, uh, Brad, you, you found you a good common name for your son. Amen. John was number three. I was disappointed. I said, oh, man, that's, that's a bummer. I wanted to be just like everybody else. But, but, you know, sometimes we name people because of something special they did. As a matter of fact, uh, my, name's, my name is just given to me because I was the next son born in the lineage. So it wasn't necessarily special, but at one point it became a special thing in our family. And so as we look at that, we see uh, that this happens, uh, you know, I think of like Douglas. Oftentimes people name their son Douglas because of General Douglas MacArthur. They want to be able to remember that great general. Uh, you know, and there's other situations. We do that. It's a very common thing. Well, it happened even in Christ's time as well. But Jude's salutation, as it begins here, this, this letter of Jude, uh, of Jude is not penned by any of these people, but this was the half-brother uh, of Jesus. He was the brother of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, who also wrote the epistle of James. And we see that James was the leader of the church in the Jerusalem council. And we see, instead of being able to say, hey, listen, I'm Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. You need to listen to me. What does he say? He says, I'm the servant of of Jesus Christ. He didn't take the, the, the proud, arrogant road and say, look at me, I'm Jude, I, you know who I am, you know who my brother was. Listen, instead he said, listen, I'm just a servant. And I think that's very important here because as we see this, he didn't consider himself an apostle, he didn't even con- use his close family relation, but instead he just said, listen, I want to be able to say, I'm the servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. He was indicating that the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ had transformed his heart. He wasn't just going on relationship with that familial bond. Instead, he was saying, listen, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. What a difference that makes. Excuse me. So we see here that his saving relationship with Christ became more important than his family time. And so Jude chose just to, to humbly uh, demonstrate this, uh, this life of a servant, or we might also call it a slave. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was very widespread. It was very common for, uh, for people to understand and be familiar with slavery. Uh, you know, today we have a, a really an epidemic when it comes to uh, human trafficking and the slavery of many of our young men and young women into, uh, into the different slave trades uh, today. But most of those uh, are for uh, uh, really sick and demented reasons. But it was very common then uh, to have a slave, a household slave. You, uh, it was common even to purchase uh, a, a slave for in the, in the Old Testament and allowed the, uh, the, uh, the Jews to be able to purchase a slave for six years. On the seventh year, they'd be released. And so this was a very common thing. They knew what it was to be a slave. Now, here's an important thing about servants or slaves. You are owned. You are not your own. Uh, someone else dictates to you everything else. And so you are completely submitted to their will and their whims in everything. And so what he was saying was, listen, I I no longer belong to me. I now belong to Christ. Anything and everything that's good in me is His. He was grateful. He said, I'm a willing slave of Jesus. I want him to have everything in my life. In 2 Peter 2, 1, it says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, uh, false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You know what he was saying, even in this introduction? He said, listen, I want to just share with you that a, a real disciple of Christ is someone that's going to take upon them the cross of Christ. It's going to say, listen, I've died to self, and I live to Him. He said that's one of the identifiers of a person who is devoted to Jesus Christ. And as he just began to to share about his own heart and his own life, what we see in Jude was, listen, I, I, I want you to know that I'm nothing special. I'm just a servant. I'm a mouthpiece that God can use. My life is His, and I'm whatever He wants, that's what I want to be for Him. What a great spirit. What a spirit that even today God wants us to adopt. Now let's look secondly because it begins to talk about to those who this is addressed to. He says in the second part of verse 1, To them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called 
mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. So here we have Jude in his salutation. He just outlines very clearly who he is, who he's writing to. And so his greeting emphasizes really uh, this reassuring truth that believers, we contend with a growing apostasy, and as we do so, he wants us to remain safe in the arms of God. We're, we're secure in him. Isn't that good to know that no matter what this world may throw at us, we can be sure, we can be secure in Christ. And so he talks about a few things here, and so we're going to look at that very quickly. He mentions, first off, sanctified. Sanctified, in the second part of verse number 1, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. He describes the believer as someone who's sanctified. Now, the term sanctify means to simply to treat as holy. It describes the divine act of sending something aside as sacred. Now, we do this in our home, don't we? If you have a special dinnerware or glassware, you have it on a, uh, in a hutch or someplace safe, and when, the, when uh, someone uh, important comes over, you bring that out and you set the table with those things. And so those things are sacred. You've set those aside. They are sanctified, if you will, uh, for when the president comes to visit you. Amen? So, you know, our family, we don't have much like that, but I tell you what we do, we just use those plates every meal. And so uh, they get chips and, and little different things and going on. But you know what? For 21 years, we've ate off the same plates and we just love it. Amen. And, and, but, you know, sometimes we do those things. We say, okay, we're going to set these things aside. These things are going to be put aside for something important for later. And when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a work that God does in our life, and that's the work of progressive sanctification. He says, listen, I want to take you from uh, just something that was common, that the world was ready to throw away, and I want to take your life, and I want you to see that it is special to me, and I've got a special purpose, and it is holy, and there is a divine reason that, that you're here on this earth. Isn't that incredible to know that God says, listen, your life is something special. It's not something just to, that's to be thrown away, but your life is something that's important to the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, and he talks to the believers here, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Often, what is seen as radical, you think about this, if we were to live that life, if we were to live the life that God wants us to of, of sanctification, the world would call you a radical, wouldn't they? But the reality, that's normal. That's normal Christianity. A, a, a Christian who is on the path of sanctification is a person that's saying, listen, Lord, I'm dying to self. I'm living to Christ. Lord, I want to uh, give up these sins and I want to uh, pick up instead these acts of righteousness and, and do these things that you want me to do and, and give my life to Jesus Christ, whether it's a missionary, a pastor, or whatever it may be. And you know, the world looks at that and says, man, you are radical in that decision. It's radical to go to Vietnam. What's wrong with you? But listen, that's normal for a Christian. And that should be normal in our life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1-2, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be, what is that word, church? Saints. With all that in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Listen, he said, there is a purpose, there is a call in our life, church, that we would be like Jesus Christ. Our lives. Our, our lives are set apart for a purpose. But let me ask you, who determines that purpose? Do I get to determine it? Or do I let God? We'll answer that at the end of this, I hope. So he mentions then, he says, listen, Jude, a servant. He says, I don't get to determine that. I'm just going to let God make that decision. He's going to determine what's going to happen in my life. And this is what the Bible says in Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, God's predetermined will for our life was that we might be conformed into Christ's image. He says, listen, I want you to be sanctified. I want your life to be like Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. You've got a purpose today. We're saved and called for a purpose and if sanctification is the act of setting apart uh, our lives for God's glory and use, it begs to ask the question, are we living this life according to our will or His? Romans chapter 6 says it like this, 
Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. So may our desire, may us as a, as a church collectively, individually, may we be able to say, Lord, we want to be used mindful of you in this present world. And may we be willing to submit our will to him and, say, and just declare, Lord, I belong to you. Whatever you want, I'm your servant. And Lord, even more than that, I am, I'm the sanctified. Lord, I am, I'm the one that is, uh, that is set apart for your use. I remember as a teenager, this was a difficult uh, thing. And, and I know as a teenager, oftentimes we go through times of rebellion. And as a teenager, I was saved and, and even had been uh, called to the ministry prior to this point. And, and, and I had some friends that were around me uh, that were not the greatest influence in my life. And, and I remember distinctly on a couple of occasions, uh, they, those friends would come over. Uh, my mom and dad would host uh, the, uh, the prayer meetings on Thursday night at our house. Isn't that good when you have prayer meeting at your house? until your, your rebellious snot-nosed son is in the room right next door with Metallica turned up. I tell you what, that was about the dumbest thing. I, I, I don't know why I'm still alive today. I think my dad should have uh, just tied me up and said, Lord, I don't know what happened to him. I think he died. But listen, what happened was God got a hold of my heart, and I can't help but think somewhere along the line that in that prayer meeting, there was some, someone hearing that music, Saying, Lord, would you, would you help John? He's in a wayward path. And I yielded my life, and I said, okay, Lord, I, I'll listen to Christian music. And so I went to the music store, and I found jars of clay. Anybody remember jars of clay? And I, I don't know that you could uh, necessarily label it as Christian, but they had Christian lyrics, and I thought I was doing good in my life, you know. And then, uh, and then beyond that, the Lord began to work in my life, and the Lord began to grow in my convictions, and things were progressing in my walk with Christ. And again, He changed my music. Something that sounded less like the world and more like Christ. Listen, that's the process God has us on. He doesn't want us to stay where we were. He wants to bring us along. And that's, that's really the desire that Jude had for this young church. Is listen, remember, remember who you are. Remember that, that you're the sanctified by God the Father. But he also says this. He says, you're preserved. And I'm, I know I'm running out of time. I, I'll just try to get through this as if, I, if I can. Are y'all okay? Say amen. If not, say oh me. All right, no one said oh me. What, about midnight okay with y'all? <laughs> oh me. <laughs> Thank you. So the second word we see here, he says, and preserved in Jesus Christ. The word here is tereo. It means to guard, to watch, to protect Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? He said in verses 27 and 28, He says, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my head. You know what He said? You're preserved. You're mine. There's nothing that can take you away from me. You're mine eternally. Jesus has promised to keep the believers secure for all eternity. And how could He keep that promise? Because He rose from the grave. I tell you, He proved He is able. It was a guarantee that was made possible by not only the death on the cross, but the resurrection from the grave. And, and through His once-for-all sacrifice, we see that Christ extends the forgiveness of sins, the reality of eternal life, and the hope that we will see Him again. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What Christ secured at the cross, we see the Father protects through His power. In 1 Peter 1, 5, Who were kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, there's no power, there's no person in this universe that is greater than God. Do you believe that? Amen. Good. And there is no force that could separate you from God. Romans 8 and 39 reminds us, and nothing shall separate us from the love of God. 
Listen, there's so many things that want to pull and pry, but let me just encourage you, you are preserved. And this leads us to the last thing here, and he says, we are blessed. Now, he doesn't use the word blessed. What he uses is a threefold term, mercy, peace, and love. It's very common in, uh, in many salutations in the epistles to be able to hear them say, mercy and peace be unto you. But he adds this extra word, this word love here, and so it's a threefold expression that's only used once in the New Testament, and that's right here in the book of Jude. And and so we see that, that really Jude wants to remind us, you are blessed. You are blessed. And, and, and I think, can't help but think about uh, Brother Ed Puckett. Every time I saw him, well, brother, I am blessed. I am blessed. Uh, you'd add, some of you don't have a clue who he was, but he was a, a dear gentleman that would come and visit the church. And, and he was uh, six foot three or four as a big man and, and just a real gentle giant of a man. And you would ask him, Brother Puckett, how are you doing today? He said, Brother, I am blessed. And you say it just like that. Listen, Christian, we are blessed. Lest we never forget the fact that we are blessed. We're blessed by God's mercy. We're blessed by God's grace. We're blessed by God's love. I tell you, there is so much here that all of these things work together and bring us peace in our life. Let me just remind you of a couple things of God's mercy. He says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Paul told the Romans that God manifested the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy in Romans 9.23. Listen, as we see this, we see God has given us a blessing of mercy. There's also peace. I love the words of Jesus in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm so thankful that Jesus gives us peace. You know, the world's lost that, hadn't it? They have no idea what peace is like. But I tell you, if you know the Lord and if you're walking with Him, you know the peace of God. And finally, we see this demonstration of God's great love. In Romans 5, 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Listen, if you're saved tonight, you're blessed. And man, when somebody asks you, I, you know, I, I know Brother Ty always says, I'm better than I deserve. When somebody asks you, maybe we ought to just say, Brother, I'm blessed. It's the worst day of my life, but I'm blessed. Amen? And because God has been so good to us. All right, very, very quickly, I want to just share with you what verse 3 says, this exhortation. Because I know he uses the word beloved, and he just demonstrates a great care and concern for the people that God has for him. And he loves them, and he says, listen, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you uh, of the common salvation. Listen, what he's saying was, I want to write to you about some positive things about the, the, the salvation God's brought us. But instead, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He said, but, but there's a problem that's arisen, and so uh, salvation is wonderful, and I, I just can't help but say, we are blessed, people, but there's another thing I've got to deal with. And so he begins to talk about this in his need to write. You know, much like Paul always felt that, that earnest desire to preach. I got to visit with uh, uh, Brother Hilton for about an hour and a half yesterday and just enjoyed uh, visiting with him. And I tell you, he just so loves to preach the gospel. I can't help but think about uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He says, for, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He says, listen, if I don't preach, he said, it's heartache for me. He said, I've got to continue to preach the gospel. And Paul was compelled to preach the gospel. Listen, the, Jude said, I, I am compelled to share with you this truth that we must remain faithful in this time. Jude was a watchman for truth, and he wanted them to, to, to uh, know that they are here for such a time as this. 2 Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Listen, that's who we are today. May we, be, uh, may we be able to say, God, uh, we want to just lift up the truth. We want to lift up the light of Jesus Christ in this dark world and let it so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. You see, just much like Jude's day, we have this happening in our church in Romans 1.25 who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, Paul warned, he says, listen, there are people who are changing truth. Boy, elections is a time to reveal that. Amen. 
Listen, we must have a fervent passion for sound doctrine. We must have a fervent passion to know the Word of God, to say, Lord, I'm not good at memorizing, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And listen, I I want to do my very best to know the Word of God. From Jude's day until now, true believers have always had to battle for the purity of the gospel. I think about our Baptist heritage and our forefathers who were martyred for the faith because they deemed, uh, uh, someone uh, deemed that the truth of God's Word shouldn't be shared. Listen, Paul told Timothy, and he warned him in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Later he would go on to say, In the same which thou hast received of me, and me commit thou the same to faithful men, he shall be able to teach others also. Listen, he said, don't just hold it, but share it, propagate it, share it with others. You see, that's what we need today more than any other time. I'm going to share a couple of warnings with you. Galatians 1.9 And we said before, and so say I now, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. 2 John uh, verses 9-11 through 11, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both God the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Listen, Jude says, guard your faith. Make sure that you know what you've been handed. Make sure that you are able to share it with others. We don't need to rewrite the Bible. We just need to reread it today. And that's the truth of where we're at. Tonight, as we begin the book of Jude, I just want to urge you, choose to contend for the faith. Too long we've sat in the back room and back of the room and we've neglected to apply ourselves in the study of God's Word, yet we're living in an age that can, we can no longer do such things. Last night, our, our brother Travis took some of our students out on go nights, and as he did so, and they were approached by a man who was unstable in all his ways. They had pulled into the gas station and walked across the street to visit, make a visit. And as uh, we were getting back in the gas, uh, into the van, this man approached him and he said, Yeah, I used to be a Baptist, and then I was uh, something else, and now I'm a keeper of the Torah, and, and I think this. And he said, he said, Man, he just accosted us with so many different crazy things. And I couldn't help, as I listened to his testimony of what happened, I couldn't help but think, He's unstable in all his ways. James warns against this. Jude warns against this. The Bible gives us a clear instruction in 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 5, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou. In all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. You know what he said? Contend for the faith. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, We would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?